Let's pray, and we're going to dive into uh, Sunday school this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. We know that you know all things, you are over all things, and we can trust you. Lord, I pray that um, you would instruct us from your word, that you would help us to see and, and gather tools to be able to better understand who you are as you revealed yourself through, through your word, through scripture. And God, we ask for your help this morning, and uh, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we are continuing in our study through the Old Testament. We're going to be going over the Psalms. So I thought this morning it would be helpful if we flipped over and just tried to tackle a small psalm. So if you would flip to Psalm 119, they, they gave me Sunday school right before April Fool's Day, so that was probably not the best timing. No, uh, that's a joke. We're not going to go through word by word Psalm 119, obviously the largest psalm. Um, that would be a heavy, heavy amount of words to run through, and, um, but it's a beautiful psalm. It is uh, a favorite, but in the psalms, we see an emotionally diverse amount of data, right? We see emotions all over the place. We have praise. We have faith. We have sorrow. We have frustration, the Spirit-inspired prayers and songs of the Psalms cover the whole range of Christian life. We see the treasuring of God's Word. We see the troubled heart of a mourner. And then following that, we'll have explosive praise to God. The diversity that we see in the Psalms is unified by a single element, by one thing. They are all centered upon the one and only living God. In good times, there's no better way to express praise to God than the Psalms. And in bad times, there's no better way that we can be reminded that God knows our sorrows and our troubles than in the Psalms. Psalms actually shows us how in the midst of trials to express our faith and trust in God. Before we dive into kind of a breakdown of the Psalms, I do want you to understand this is a little bit more lectury. There's going to be definitions and breakdowns, but our goal this morning is to understand and equip the body of Christ to understand how to read the Psalms, how to use the Psalms. Um, so please do bear with me as we run through, but I do want to give you some of the information, some of the context, um, so that you have the tools. I know the Psalms is is a favorite for most. I think a lot of people run to the Psalms. They enjoy the Psalms. They love the Psalms. But I want us to know how to read it correctly and uh, where it comes from in its context. So authors, authors for the Psalms. There are um, 150 Psalms. 100 of them we know. So two-thirds of the Psalms have an author assigned to them. That means 50 of them are unknown or uh, not labeled for us to know exactly who wrote them. Of the 100 that we know, um, David is the author of 73. So a huge, a huge majority of the Psalms were written by David himself. Asaph wrote about 12. Asaph was a court musician during David's time. Uh, the sons of Korah wrote about 10. Solomon, 2. Moses, Heman, and Ethan each wrote 1. So 
There's, if you add that up, it's 100. That's what we know according to Scripture. Uh, context of when it was written, um, a majority of it is during the time of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. So during uh, the United Monarchy. So during the time of King David, obviously a majority of them were written. But because we have Psalms that go all the way back to Moses actually writing the Psalms, we can date over the time period of about 1,000 years. So during Moses, it would be 1500 B.C., all the way up to some being part of the post-exile. So that would be around 500 B.C. So we're covering about a span of 1,000 years. So when we're reading the Psalms, we have to understand as much as we can um, from the headings and the context of the Psalms when it's taking place so we're not reading in from a different context. So it's important to know that you're covering a wide range of history um, when you're reading the Psalms. Uh, The recipients is the nation of Israel. So this is a book of songs, a book of prayers for God's people. It's kind of like their their holy hymnal. Uh, The genre of the Psalms is is poetry. Uh, A lot of this is hymns and prayers. So in poetry, we get a lot of figures of speech. We get graphic imagery and parallelism, especially in Hebrew poetry. So with parallelism, parallelism, there is the idea that's, developed by restatement, right? They're stating over and over again. As you read the Psalms, sometimes it's like, why are they hammering in on the same thing? It's like, that's, that's part of the poetry language. That's part of emphasizing something and stating something that's extremely important for us to be honed in on. And you can even relate to that in our music that we sing here. It's different than how you just speak normally with somebody, but you actually sing something over and over again. We have a chorus that we go back to between verses, the repetition of truth. Um, is part of poetry, part of singing. Um, a lot of it we'll see in parallelism, there's synonyms, right, that um, we see parallels there. We see amplification of something. So it's stated in one way, and then it's restated again with synonyms, or it's restated in a broader, um, greater, grander scale. We also see grammatical repetition or opposition, um, just meaning that it's the opposite of something. So I cling to God who I find rest in. And then the psalmist talks about how God clings to me and he holds on to me. Those are opposite but parallel truths, like they're both present. Um, Or a lot of times you'll see it when it's talking about the wicked and the righteous. You see these opposites, how God opposes the wicked, but he gives grace to the righteous. A lot of that is wrapped up in poetry, and I think we understand that. That's That's kind of, you can read it, you can sing it, you can understand and attain that. Um, But that's a lot of the genre and the language with what we deal with in the Psalms. Um, Themes for the Psalms. There's one resounding theme that you probably know. If you were to guess, what is a theme for the Psalms? What would you say? Praise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Praise and worship, right? That is the theme of songs and prayers is When we're talking to God, it's about praise and worship, which we're going to talk about a lot today. So I'm glad you guys already know. That's good. I'm not telling you anything new, but we're going to talk about it anyway, and hopefully we'll glean something. Um, In the themes, we see kind of three categories that we learn a lot about. John Piper said it this way, reading the Psalms is meant to be instructive about God, man, and life. So you see that all over the Psalms. You see tons about who God is. And what he's done. You see a ton about man and our sinfulness and our neediness. Um, and we see a ton about creation all around us and all that God's created. So, and you see the wide range of emotions we talked about in every day of life. How, it's, how God is not looking for being a part of your Sunday school 
event. He wants to be part of your life event. Every stage of life is in submission to God's will and God's plan. So that's, that's what the Psalms wraps up and captures. So it's hard to cover every stage of life, but we are going to cover the types of Psalms we see um, so that we have the tools in being able to read the Psalms. But I think it's important. I wanted to give a brief summary of some of the ways we see God in the Psalms. So um, some of the titles that are described of God is he's our shield, our rock, our king, our shepherd. He's the judge. He's a refuge and a fortress, a vindicator, our creator, our deliverer, a helper and protector. He's the provider and our redeemer. What's amazing in these titles is that we actually see a lot of need in those titles, right? When, when the psalmist is ascribing these, these character qualities or these attributes type of titles to God and who he is, they're actually describing also man's neediness for this, right? There's a longing in these titles for them to sing to God, you are my shield means I, I need a shield. You are my refuge. I'm, I'm needing a place to hide, to rest in. And I think it's important us for, to, to know both sides of that coin. I think we relate to the Psalms because we, we feel that need. Um, and it's important for us to, to recognize our need and God's provision, both sides of that. Because if we don't recognize our need, we won't run to God. If we seek for that to be satisfied in other things, then we're rejecting God and we're trusting in idols or other things that our heart is running to. But if we recognize our need and we see God's provision, then we actually are finding our satisfaction in God himself. And that's what's depicted and displayed so clearly for us in the Psalms. So understanding the book of Psalms, we got to understand a little bit of the structure and the categories. So structure, there's actually five books in the Psalms. Um, and maybe you've seen it as you flip through reading the Psalms. There's um, a structure that's been laid out of, of five books. Um, there's 41 Psalms, then 31, then 17, and 17, and 44. That gets us the full 150. But what's interesting is that at the end of every book of how it's been compiled, which most, uh, most people consider Ezra to be the compiler of the Psalms. Um, at the end of each book, there's actually a doxology, which is just a, a small song that's a special song of praise specifically to God. So at the end of each psalm, you'll see that um, as kind of a bookend, a transition to the next book of psalms. But what, what's important to understand is the books don't have uh, a single category, right? It's not like, all right, book one, we've got the lament psalms. Book two is Thanksgiving psalms. It's, they're, they're not categorized or organized in a certain way. There's no one key that just unlocks this mystery of, of how it was all compiled. But um, there is an organization to it. Um, and, and understanding the structure of it. But more importantly, we want to we understand, I think, a little bit more of the categories and the types of psalms we see. So um, there's about um, 11 that I mentioned, but as I was studying, there's like so many breakdowns of the types of psalms we see. And for us to understand, like, I'm going to give categories, but it's not like, oh, Psalm 17 is this one psalm. But you see these characteristics in multiple psalms. It's kind of a mix and mash matchup of, um, of these different categories. So one of them is a lament psalm. 
Um, we see that in Psalm 7 and 26 are some examples of a lament psalm. And in these, what's, what's unique about them is a plea for deliverance, for rescue, and an expression of trust and clinging to God's mercy. So that's, that's a characteristic of a lament psalm. We also see thanksgiving or testimonial psalms. Um, psalm 30 is an is a example of that, seeing God's provision and responding in gratitude, which is, I think, really a key element of our Christian life. Um, when you're dissatisfied with life around you, it's because you're really discontent with God's provision. Um, and what you need to recognize is that God has provided, um, whether it's not the circumstances you want or um, the issues that are surrounding you aren't what you want to deal with, um, you need to recognize God's sovereignty and his hand in your life, and you ought to respond with gratitude for all that God has done, rather than discontentment with what he hasn't or what you want him to do. Um, that's displacing ourselves from the throne and letting God be on the throne. So Thanksgiving psalms are a huge encouragement. There's also praise psalms, um, specifically the, the last um, collection of psalms, like Psalms 145 through 150, is a big, large doxology. Um, it's kind of an end note to the whole book of um, praise to God, and, and it's very similar. It would, it would be very easy for us to parallel it with the songs we sing here at church. Um, there's actually a, a calling to worship or a summoning to praise um, the God. So there's, you'll see this, um, all you people, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. You know, like these types of songs, um, starting out, they want to call others to worship this holy God. And in the, in the middle, you'll see the reasons for praise. So you'll see what God has done is why they will praise him. And at the end, there's like a summary or a condensed review um, of the praise that has been sung to God. There's also specific psalms that are pilgrim or ascent psalms. Um, these are psalms that were sung by the Israelites on the way to Jerusalem for their great annual feasts uh, that they sang. There's penitential confessional psalms. Um, we know Psalm 51 as one where uh, it actually reveals um, a repentant heart, which is a great teaching and instruction for us when, when we are going through um, sin revealed in our life and how to repent, what that looks like, what a grieving heart, a repentant heart looks like. Um, it's a helpful model for us um, for recognizing our own sin before God, to see it as God sees it, and to turn from it to him, um, asking for forgiveness. Uh, we also see wisdom psalms. Um, these are helpful. Psalms 1, Psalm 1 is a popular, um, commonly known wisdom psalm. These are helpful guidelines for godly living um, in an ungodly world. Um, we also see historical psalms, uh, which are really fun when you're going through an Old Testament survey to be able to look at those and see like, oh, we talked about this in Numbers or Deuteronomy or we mentioned that back in Genesis. Um, and I think what's hugely impactful with the historical psalms is how important it was and vital it was to living in, in the nation of Israel to remember what God has done for their people. Um, and I think that would be something that's a huge takeaway for the Psalms, is just to remember who God is and what he's done and how those, those correlate. Uh, we also see um, nature Psalms. Psalm 19 is um, a commonly known one. Um, we see the greatness and goodness along with the power of God on display in creation. 
Um, we also see two of the probably most harder ones. We obviously save for last, but um, hopefully going to give a brief description of these. But we see imprecatory psalms. Who knows what imprecatory means? Not good. Not good. That is perfect. Not good, right? It's, it's calling for judgment um, on others, on the enemies, uh, either our enemies and also God's enemy, enemies. So when we come to an imprecatory psalm, it's kind of like, man, that seems harsh, right? Is that very Christian to call for judgment on, on, on an enemy? I thought we're supposed to love our enemies, right? Well, I think it's important to understand that um, imprecatory psalms are not something functionally that we want to pray on our enemies, but we have to understand in the imprecatory psalm, the psalmist is actually crying to God to be just. Um, so what they're doing is they're uplifting God's justice. It's not a vengeful cry of, I hate these people, so I want my puppet master to hit them on the head or kill them. It's, it's actually a cry to God to say, God, be just. I want your justice to be lifted up. And it's a submission to God's will and God's plan. Um, so it's important not to read into that what's not there. Um, but to actually say, wow, this is a great example of submission to God's justice, how God hates sin. Do I hate sin the way God does? Um, Do I uphold God's justice and want him to be the one who brings vengeance? Or am I on the throne, again, in my heart, and I want to strike out my own vengeance toward others? I think that's that's really um, a key in understanding and reading um, the uh, imprecatory psalms. Um, One of the examples I heard Um, in a sermon recently was about um, Jesus's prayer, right? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, And in that we hear, especially as believers, we hear salvation, right? We hear rescue in that. We want, Lord, come Jesus. Um, But I think what we need to understand is with salvation also comes judgment for sin. Um, That's a prayer for God's justice to be lifted up. Um, It's not just a prayer of peace, Not all will be saved. Only those who trust in Jesus for salvation will be saved. Um, So we have to understand there's there's not an absence of judgment in salvation. Um, Those are are tied together. The other type of psalm we see is uh, messianic or royal psalms. Um, Those kind of get lumped together a little bit because sometimes there's these psalms and you're reading and it's like, well, this is talking about a king, but there's kind of some deity characteristics that are mixed in. But is it talking about David? Is it talking about Jesus? Um, I think it's important to know that there's layers, okay? There are layers to peel back on messianic psalms. So some are strictly prophetic. um, And we know that in confidence because the Old Testament calls David a prophet, um, and says that he spoke specifically of Jesus in regards to Psalm 110. But he, that God the Father was talking to David's Lord, Jesus, um, and that he was going to be the Messiah, the king that would reign forever. So it's clear that there are prophetic psalms um, that speak of the coming Messiah, but there are also some that are just descriptive, um, that describe what this Messiah would do, what he would accomplish. Um, so... Um, that's another layer that we can see in Messianic or Royal Psalms. But we also find um, that there's ultimate fulfillment of Messianic prophecy too, where it's, it's, there's kind of this local definition or local um, interpretation of what this king would accomplish. But obviously there's something on a grander scale, a greater scale that Jesus accomplishes as the eternal king that God has sent um, to reign over his people. So 
I think also there's uh, probably one more that I would mention. It's when Jesus actually references the Psalms. So it's like, well, I read this Psalm that Jesus referenced, and I don't see anything really messianic. There's just like this tidbit that just pops out. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that in, in Jewish culture, knowing the Psalms was like knowing Christian music, right? <laughs> I mean, when we sing songs in church, like, you'll sing those at home. You'll reference it when you're feeling something. You'll talk about Christian music because that's what you sing. That's what you say. Um, and so that's what's retained and understood. And so some of it is a quotation in the sense that he's relating to this feeling. And God, Jesus, knows his word. <laughs> I mean, he is God. So he perfectly quotes and references the Psalms also um, in reference to relating and saying, this is where I'm at. I feel abandoned. You know, why have you forsaken me? Um, so I think it's important for us to understand um, the multiple layers that we can see in Messianic Psalms as we look to read. But so the other question we got to run to, not just how to understand the Psalms, that was kind of the luxury long portion, but, but why we have the Psalms. So why do we have, what's the purpose of the Psalms? And uh, this you can write down. I think it's important for us to understand. If you're going to have a takeaway, here it is. Write it down. The Psalms' purpose is to train my heart to love my God in all areas of life. The purpose of the Psalms is to train my heart to love my God in all areas of life. Athanasius said this way, he says, Most of Scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. It's, it's helpful for us in the Psalms because we see somebody coming alongside to say, this is what it looks like. Like, this is a model for you. Tons of scriptures, instruction on what we should do, how we should feel, but this says, this is what it looks like to, to wrestle through real everyday life. And it trains us to have a greater love for our God. So if we see the theme of praise and worship, and how does praise and worship train our hearts, right? What, what is praise and worship? I think those are important questions for us to understand because I think we get lost sometimes in the lingo um, of Christianity. So um, there's some kind of tight, sweet, short definitions that parallel par praise and truth together um, that, I, that I just Google searched. I was like, what, what is a modern definition of praise and worship? Are they different? Are they the same? Pairing them side by side, what does it look like? So this is some of the stuff that came up. So praise is about God and worship is to God. I thought that was kind of cute, right? Short, sweet, to the point. Uh, what about praise is opening up, worship is entering in? Maybe still a little vague. Have you guys heard these before? Yes, no? No, okay. I hadn't heard that one either. Praise is boldly declaring and worship is humbly bowing in the presence of a holy God closer, but I feel like it kind of, it, it pins down too much, right? It says, praise looks like this, and worship looks like this, but it's, you, you don't see that in scripture as, like, it only looks like this category. There's praise when you're softly, humbly, remorseful, and respective to God um, in retrospect of what has happened. So, I think one of the, the better ones is, praise is adoration for what God has done, and worship is 
honoring God for who he is. I'll say that again. Praise is adoration for what God has done. So praise is looking back, right? Praise, praise the Lord for his salvation, right? It's saying God has accomplished something, so he is praiseworthy. Worship, on the other hand, is honoring God for who he is. The reason we see these paralleled, right, we use them synonymously is because of who he is, we see that in what he does, right? So we see that there, these are kind of intertwined definitions, but um, praise is actually probably would be considered a subgroup of worship. Um, a call to praise God helps us to get to a point where we can honestly see him as he is and worship him. So worship itself is what I think we need to analyze. We need to understand what is worship. Um, the word in English, when you break it down, is actually just worthy ship, kind of like dukes and lords, like your worthy ship, right? Somebody that's worthy of um, recognition, but I love the definition of David Peterson. He says, worthy is, wor- sorry, worthy. Worship is engaging with God on the terms he proposes in the way that he alone makes possible. I'll say that again. Worship is engaging with God on the terms that he proposes. This book right here, God's Word, on the terms that he proposes in the way that he alone makes possible through the gospel. So if that's what worship is, why is worship important? Um, I have about three points quickly that we'll run through. I actually got them from a sermon back when I was in Shepherd's Conference. So um, this is a breakdown from uh, Ligon um, is the pastor that, that preached through this. And he says, why is worship important? Number one, worship is about what you value. Um, and hopefully, don't get drowned out. We're still in the Psalms, but I think for us to really have a value of the Psalms, we need to understand what worship is about, because that's what we see in the Psalms. So worship is about what you value. So you cannot commend what you do not treasure, right? You're not going to praise God if you don't value God. If he's not of utmost importance to you, the Psalms will not be valuable to you. They will not be meaningful to you because you get drowned out in all this praise language and it's like, well, that's kind of boring. I'm ready for some instruction. But that actually is instructive for us. And it actually is a heart revealer for us to say, well, I don't, I don't really get anything out of this. Um, well, let's, let's check the heart condition because if you can't um, commend praise and worship, if you can't praise and glorify God, then I think there's a treasuring issue. There's a value issue. Worship also requires that you know God as he is, as he's revealed himself in scripture. So um, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the next question in the catechism um, is, how do we do that? How do we do that? And the answer is, by God's word, right? You cannot know God apart from how he's revealed himself in scripture, Scripture is to be the authority on how we worship God. But thirdly, worship is formative. And I think we know this, um, but it's important for us to talk about because in our day and age, we, we kind of have so much media intake, so much different types of songs and genres that um, they actually have 
worship formative influence in us. Um, And you see this theme that kind of gets picked up in the Psalms and even more so in the prophets of um, you become like what you worship. Did you get that? You become like what you worship. You become conformed to it. You become similar to it. So in the Psalms, it talks about idols being made of silver and gold and wood. And it says, those who make it become like it. They're dead. They, have, they, have, they cannot speak. They cannot act. They cannot do anything. It's worthless idols. Worship is formative because it conforms us to what we're beholding. People believe what they do over what they hear. It's interesting, um, at the Shepherds Conference, one of the things that was mentioned was, um, it's for a bunch of pastors, but in our context, you'll hopefully be able to relate. It's, it's the fact that, you know, on your deathbed, you're probably not going to remember something that J.D. said in a sermon. You're going to remember what you sang in church to God. That's what you're going to remember on your deathbed. So let that be kind of a display of, you know, you believe what you sing before you you're preached at with words because you can only retain so much that you hear. But if you're saying it, if you're worshiping and beholding God, like that's what has impact and is formative on what you believe and your worldview and how you interpret all of life. So worship is formative. We need to, you know, in the New Testament, it, it says it this way. We need to be not hearers only, but doers of the word. I love what uh, C.J. or C. John Collins said. He said, Psalms do not simply express our emotions, but when sung or spoken or read aloud in faith, they actually shape the emotions of the godly. It's important for us to know the value of the Psalms, that this is God's inspired word that tells us how we should speak to God. That is extremely important. I don't want to be saying something wrong to a holy God who's made me, who's bought me twice over and owns all of me and knows everything about me, right? But he has given me a beautiful gift on how I should relate to him, how I should speak to him, how I should honor him. So the question for us is, do you know and love God by his word? Do you know God? Do you love him the way he has taught us and is training us to do in the Psalms. So the question I think for us application-wise is, is really important is how do we use the Psalms? How do we read the Psalms and apply it in our everyday life? What do we do? Well, I think the answer is actually really short. Um, so I thought what would be helpful is to do a little bit of teaching together. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to practice what we should do with the psalms. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to do the two things that you can do. You can sing the psalms and you can pray the psalms. I think that's really helpful for us to do. So Carrie's going to actually come and we're going to actually sing a psalm that you guys should know well. It's Psalm 62. Um, we actually have um, it in our, you can come on up, Carrie. We're actually going to sing it together. And, and I want you to meditate on the actual words because it's based on scripture. And a lot of all of the songs we sing here on the worship team is actually really like thoroughly detailed going through. It's not like, oh, I heard this on the radio. That sounds great. Like, let's just throw it in. People will like it. Because worship is so formative, um, I want you to meditate. Not just sing the words because you know them, but think about what you're saying. 
and think about who you're talking to as you sing. So we'll sing Psalm 62 together if you guys want to stand, and then I'll close in prayer afterward, um, praying through a psalm for us as a group. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, Find rest my soul in God alone Amid the world's temptation When evil seeks to take a hold I'll cling to my salvation Though riches come and riches go Don't set your heart upon them The fields of hope in which
the Psalms, we see that we are to be instructed by God's word. So let's pray that prayer together. Uh, If you would unite your hearts with me, you can remain standing. We'll just all pray together. Lord, in the Psalms, we see a prayer. We see a prayer, Lord, that you would teach us, O God. Lord, that we would be taught by your word. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. That you would give us here at Redemption Hill a united heart, an undivided heart, a heart that's not torn away from idols or pride or selfishness or the cares of this world, but that we would be united so that we can fear your holy name. Lord, that's our desire, that you would teach us. Lord, we praise you, O Lord our God, with all of our heart. We glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward us. You have delivered us from the grave. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, the deliverance you have provided for us ought to produce praise and overflow out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, Lord. And we want our hearts to be right before you. And we ask, God, that you would do that work in us, that you would be glorified to bring about a heart that is submitted to your plans, your wills, through your word, through your instruction, so that we may glorify your name forever. Amen.